Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Will Summer. Welcome to the Daily Beast's Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm currently working on a book about QAnon called Trust the Plan for HarperCollins coming out later this year. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Okay, this week on Fever Dreams, we're joined once again by Sam Brody, congressional reporter for The Daily Beast. Sam, welcome back. So good to be back. Thanks, Will. Absolutely. So this week, Sam, we've got some big news. Q. The infamous guy behind QAnon has returned. Did you see this? No, tell me what's going on here. Right. So, you know, Q, this is the the guy who makes the posts that say, like, red shoes, research, Epstein, Huma, laptop, you know, that kind of stuff. And then this is the sort of stuff that, uh, that set off QAnon. But Q has been silent since December 2020 when he, he left by posting a video of the Twisted Sister song, We're Not Gonna Take It, which has since, because of the Q connection, become a you know very important song for, for many Trump supporters. But we thought Q was gone. But on Friday night, you know, I was sitting at home, I was watching The Boys on Amazon, and I saw that another supervillain had returned, Q. Um, and so in this case, Q returned with a comment that was very, I think, reminiscent of Jigsaw, the evil puppet from Saw. And he said, shall we play a game once more? Q. And, you know, it's been kind of a soft launch, I would say. I mean, I don't think we're getting a lot of, like, deep Q lore. Q has sort of returned and, and sort of said, like, time to be a patriot again. So, you know, we'll see if Q ramps things up from here. Is this an uncharacteristically, like, clear message from Q? I I'm just sort of used to, like, seeing Q drops. Am I using that right? Yeah, that's right. Q drops, breadcrumbs. Yeah, like, we didn't start the fire-esque <laughs> mishmashes of, like, varying, like, proper nouns and God, things. that's a good way to and put this, it. <laughs> and this is just, like, a clear kind of, like, obviously, like, deliberately trolly and um provocative you know sentence but it's it's comprehensible to me so is that unusual yeah it, it, it's actually not that unusual it, it it's sort of like when the, the the q ones kind of the the q posts that i think are probably the most influential are the ones you're describing where it's you know the ones that kind of like lay the groundwork uh you know for the lore and sort of the q non canon where you know the, the the ones that people you know in the process they call baking where you know it's like then you then you, you're gonna go deep on you know q will say like you know mockingbird and then you go into the cia operation mockingbird and you kind of that's the fun stuff i think but a lot of times q kind of just riffs and kind of 
kind of spin, you know, sometimes he does like a Q and A and, and, and he'll just sort of say things like, you know, thank you, Patriots, like that kind of stuff. So, you know, sometimes it's just like a Q does an AMA essentially and, and kind of hangs out. But, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this is not the first time we've seen Q come back, although seemingly the first time, and I use this word lightly, legitimately, when I was at the Dallas QAnon convention, seemingly a mischievous administrator at 8Coon, the website where Q posts, got into the back end. And I, I, I should also say, you know, because many people believe that 8Coon administrator Ron Watkins is behind Q, I guess this was a an unauthorized Q post and sort of said, like, Q's back, baby. And people at the convention were hyped. I mean, they were like, Q's back, Q's back. But that that Q ended up being denounced um, sort of by the by the administrators of 8Coon, eight which, you know, again, sort of demonstrates that they are the people driving the train here. Q's coming back at the time where Ron Watkins, the fellow I mentioned, who's in the HBO documentary was sort of eyed as the as the main power behind QAnon these days. He's running a what's sure to be a disastrous Republican uh, primary campaign for a House seat in Arizona. And, you know, as that primary approaches, one wonders, you know, if you buy into the idea that he's Q, either he's like, man, my kind of the only thing people care about about me is that I, I'm allegedly Q. Got to get the QAnon talk going again. Or maybe he's, you know, saying, ah, oh, well, I guess I can't go legit. Time to uh, time to rev up the old Q machine. I've seen weirder sort of like uh strategic plays in a in a republican primary <laughs> ron watkins is running in a district that I'm, I'm gonna put on the let's put on this political reporter q hat on get the big map out we're gonna chuck todd this one he is running though in a district that's held by a democrat in like rural arizona that is likely to flip to republican control crowded republican field and again, I, I I go back to my initial point. I think like there there are worse ways to curry favor in a Republican primary these days. I think particularly when you think about Ron Watkins, who lived in Japan and the Philippines, only moved to Arizona. I haven't quite nailed this down, but uh, let's say I think you could count it in terms of months. A guy who is otherwise known for running a website that was like big with mass shooters and who has a, you know, the HBO documentary talks a lot about going to visit. I think what is, you know, a, a massage parlor effectively has a giant anime doll i mean these are the kind of things that really resonate i think with rural arizona voters but you know he he seems to be kind of playing the one card he has in his hand that's right i've spent a, a fair bit of time in arizona and and driving around and it's one of a handful of states where i've actually seen q a q bumper sticker or q sign on the car out in the wild hell yeah so- isn't that always like whoa <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. It's it's really cool. Drive around Arizona enough and, and you'll get it. But, you know, I, I'm a little suspicious, Will, because, you know, this emergence of you is, is coming <laughs> at a time when I hear a book is, is slated to come out <laughs> sometime soon in February 2023, which, as we all know, is an anagram for the <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that but it's it's getting it's it's getting a little suspicious here so I'd like to see if you can comment on the the time the you know the the time frame of this this emergence from Q and your your forthcoming book Trust the Plan by Will Summer. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have pointed out the that Q has sort of revved up right as I began my book promotional push. You know, this is, this is very generous of you to set me up like this. If you'd like to learn more about QAnon, my book on QAnon and its various uh, awful effects uh, on our politics, on our our families, on uh, those of us who don't like crime, the book is called Trust the Plan, and it's coming out in February 2023. And most importantly, it's available for pre-orders now. I think the larger picture here is whether QAnon is really going to get going again. But, you know, at the same time, you know, we've talked about this before. It's sort of like QAnon doesn't need Q anymore, I think. 
it's been so mainstreamed within the Republican Party. I mean, we have QAnon believers in Congress. We have, in the case of J.R. Majewski and Myra Flores, you know, I think we're going to have more QAnon supporters in Congress. The idea that the election was stolen by a nefarious supercomputer or by 2,000 mules. I mean, these are things that could easily have been like next week on Q. Instead, you have a majority of the party, party believing it. So, you know, in a way, it's like Q has kind of just, just really become that firmly entrenched in the Republican Party. So, I, you know, I'm not sure uh, where, where Q himself can take it yeah i mean i just want to just want to spotlight though that you've really like outdone yourself on the on the book uh publicity rollout here and so (laughs) (laughs) by getting yeah saying hey q you gotta come back man q hey hey dude i mean (laughs) i got this book coming out um give maybe you can do the forward (laughs) but i think you're right i mean and we'll get into this later on the show but um q ideas coming up in the January 6th hearings as stuff that was like legitimately discussed um, by people in the White House, including the president, even if they weren't explicitly labeled as Q ideas. So it's there. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it just in terms of how this stuff keeps rolling and and the many just twisted aspects of it. Uh, my wife has been reading, you know, the, the latest draft of the book and just every page she's saying like, oh, no, oh, no. <laughs> so, so you know there's a lot a lot of material like she's saying you know don't dress your baby up as q that that's something that you know someone in the book does so uh anyways so you know speaking of election denial uh and these various conspiracy theories sam you got another update for us on the latest january 6th committee revelations yeah that's right and you know this has really continued to be a pretty remarkable series of presentations of evidence and testimony from folks who were close to uh, the Trump White House and experienced, um, you know, on both sides, their their efforts to subvert the 2020 election. I think last week might have been one of the craziest hearings last Thursday, just in terms of like sheer, like h- how close things actually came to really, truly going off the rails from like a constitutional uh, crisis of democracy perspective. You know, former Trump lawyers and, and various officials testified just about the lengths to which Trump and a set of loyalists, both in the White House and in Congress, just the lengths to which they went to try and subvert the election results. And it really centered around this sort of obscure DOJ official, an attorney who actually focused on environmental law named Jeffrey Clark and Trump's plan to install him as acting attorney general who would carry out his sort of far-fetched and, you know, outlandish scheme to to stop the peaceful transition of power. Uh, Clark was really the last dude left who, who would give that a shot when everyone else basically distanced themselves from it and, and threatened to to resign. This, this guy, Clark, did not uh, seem like he had the most sterling reputation among uh, among his colleagues and recreating, uh, you know, the committee sort of recreated these these weeks where, you know, the White House was furiously trying behind the scenes to subvert the election by trying to place this guy, Jeff Clark, as, as, a, as you know, attorney general who would uh, slow the whole thing down. Jeffrey Clark is kind of one of these classic Trump orbit characters where it is a guy who seems to be like pretty mediocre and sort of sees the 
opportunity of you know like in his case sees like well you know if everyone else is going to resign from the justice department over the coup that creates a big opportunity for the one guy who doesn't resign and so he kind of jumps to the forefront i mean the, the the thing that struck me and i don't know if this was in the hearing or uh maybe an article about it uh about the whole like you know attempted coup situation was that at, at one point jeffrey clark you know they're saying jeffrey like you can't be attorney general you don't have trial experience you haven't done criminal stuff and he says well actually like i'm a pretty highly regarded environmental lawyer and they said, "Great, we'll call you when there's an oil spill." So, you know, I mean, so, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, it doesn't seem like there is there was really a ton of respect for this guy within the department. Yeah, no, and it, it created some moments that I think have really confirmed that, like, while this learning about this and the whole gravity of the situation is obviously very serious, it, it's also like hilarious. And some of the recreations of these scenes and moments, like, have confirmed that I think whenever the like January six uh, stop the steal effort movie is is written it should be a coen brothers film and not like an oliver stone movie or or something more serious i just want to like highlight this quote from eric hirschman who is one of the trump lawyers who is trying to stop jeff clark from getting anywhere near the attorney general's office um and he recalls this moment where clark was explaining his plan and hirschman said when he finished discussing what he planned on doing i said FNA hole, congrats. You just admitted the first step or act you take as attorney general will be committing a felony. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's great. It's really funny. I also want to just quickly note that Trump seems to have this thing for really weird, outlandish lawyers from Philadelphia. Jeff Clark from Philly. I, I also want to do a throwback Thursday to Michael Vanderveen. <laughs> who uh, was was uh, who had a star turn during Trump's second impeachment trial? He's an injury lawyer from from Philly, which he called Philadelphia during an especially heated moment on the floor. So, like to use a term often employed in the city of brotherly love, these these are some jabronis, <laughs> some guys that that Trump seems to love having around uh, <laughs> to, to, to push his legal theories when literally no one else will. You know, you talk about these great moments among the lawyer amidst the lawyers. I mean, I believe it was also Hirschman who was talking to to either Clark or, or John Eastman, another Trump lawyer. And he said, you know, like, you, you better get a, a real good criminal defense attorney. Yeah. Yep, that's that's a really good one. Should should we talk about the Italian satellites, Will? Let's do it. Yes, please. Can you can you give us a little because these these came back again, but maybe for the folks who have forgotten about the Italian satellites and their really key role in the American election of twenty twenty. Yes. <laughs> yes. So there was a you know, in the aftermath of the the twenty twenty election, there were certain countries that were accused of meddling in the election. Now, some of them were sort of obvious rivals or enemies of the United States such as Venezuela, China. So you could kind of see why the, the conspiracy theorists cooking these up would come up with these countries. But one country that really took it on the chin was Italy, somewhat inexplicably. So there was this idea that in Italy, that these satellites, these Italian satellites had somehow been used uh, in the it, it, to steal the election. It, this is a lot of these kind of conspiracy theories about the votes. They often just really quickly take it into the land of like cybersecurity and stuff like this, where I think the average person, including myself, can't really evaluate it. And, and so I think that that makes it much, much easier to kind of get the con over where it's just like, look, you know, I mean, I, I think of Mike Lindell. Uh, always talking about his packet transfers and stuff. And so in this case, 
And I believe there's been some good reporting out there. Essentially, like someone in Italy made this claim, seemingly, you know, trying to wiggle out of some some legal issues of their own. And so then the U.S. government is in the final days of the Trump administration, really tracking, trying to track down this idea if the satellites uh, were indeed used to steal the election. And I think it kind of gets to the, you know, it really demonstrates, you know, first, I think the desperation that, you know, they're saying, well, like, I don't know, maybe we should ask you if the election was stolen. I mean, that kind of stuff. And also, I think just the way that the the Trump administration really was able to to sort of harness the the government. Yeah. And, and I think just like the the committee is is recreating the moments in which these, you know, wild theories were thrown around and just I mean, I, I can't get over it. How how much legitimate airtime they got among the most powerful people in the world. I mean, there's a video that the committee said was was circulated by Mark Meadows, the White House chief of staff. And this is just a crazy YouTube video saying MI6, the, the British intelligence organization, used this Italian satellite to switch the votes. And Meadows is, is pushing this out and gets the acting assistant secretary of defense like a hugely important person to contact his counterpart in the Italian government and just go, hey, man, you know, just wanted to check in about the satellites. Um, did you guys use those at all? <laughs> yep, we did. Switch yeah, we, we, we stole the election. <laughs> and <laughs> Right. It's just I mean, it's just I mean, again, I keep going back to like this is like this is this makes me think of burn after reading one of the great Coen Brothers movies. And like this is like just this this just could be a plot point in it. And it actually happened. I, I also just want to um, celebrate what Trump allegedly said when when confronted about some of this stuff. And I don't have the exact quote, but basically he said, you know, you guys aren't as 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 deep online as, as I am. I know a lot of stuff that's going on here. And so I, I think that's also a line that we we deserve here. The boomer president is is letting people know that, you know, he's got some good sources. He's pretty online. It does remind you of like, you know, kind of an older person on Facebook being like, I have the best memes. <laughs> uh, like everyone comes to everyone loves my memes did you see this facebook thread have you seen that can you ask the italians about this facebook thread that i saw yeah so just to close the loop here um this was supposed to be an off week for the january 6th committee um on, on monday they scheduled a surprise hearing for tuesday so as we're recording um that's going to be shortly we've learned that it's cassidy hutchinson who is a top aide to mark meadows the chief of staff who really seems to have knowledge and visibility into a, a ton of things that happened at this time. And the committee scheduled a surprise hearing because they had some urgent concerns about her safety and perhaps other things we'll learn about. So that'll be something for us to get into next week. I kind of like the the surprise witness tactic. I'm appreciating the drama of it. They did hire a TV guy to do this. So um, we're going to get like next week on January 6th committee. Yes, previously on the committee. Okay, great. So last week, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and, you know, thus set the stage for uh, dozens of states to overturn abortion rights in those states and outlaw abortion. One of the things I was keeping an eye on was this idea, this drumbeat for several days leading up to this decision in the right wing media that there was going to be a night of rage from abortion rights supporters, that we were going to, cities across the country were going to burn, churches in particular would be burned and defaced. Essentially, this would be the purge. Everyone was talking about this. Sam, what did there end up being a night of rage? I don't think there was a night of rage, Will. No, no, that's right. And so this is one of these things where I was conservatives, they love to, you know, oftentimes there's these big predictions. This thing's going to happen. This thing's going to happen. In particular about like leftist violence. And, you know, it's hard to say, you don't want to say this is fake. This is fake. Because then what if it happens? 
then I look stupid, right? But in this case, I felt pretty confident there was not going to be a night of rage. So just to sort of set the stage in terms of how big a story this was in conservative media, this idea that when the Roe hearing came down, we were going to just utter violence across the country, in particular violence sort of under this idea of the night of rage. And so Marjorie Taylor Greene says, we are hearing serious threats of violence throughout the city, the city being Washington. Matt Schlapp, the head of CPAC, says the left is heading for a night of rage. And then the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh says, bring on your night of rage, you demons. <laughs> and and so sort of that, that last one there kind of hints at, I think, part of the appeal of this concept of the night of rage for the right, which is that you then get to sort of posture and say, I hope they do try the night of rage in my suburb. You know, I've got a Smith and Wesson waiting for them. And so this was like a, you know, a hot topic. But where does the idea of the night of rage come from? Well, it comes from this group called Jane's Revenge. If you haven't heard of Jane's Revenge, you might think of, well, I, you know, I, own, I know NARAL, I know uh, Planned Parenthood, kind of the big pro-abortion groups. I must have missed the uh, text message donation request from Jane's Revenge. Well, that's because this group may or may not actually exist. So back in May, when it became clear that the Supreme Court was going to overturn Roe, I would say a communique, as they've dubbed it. Essentially, a couple of anonymous blog posts came out from this so-called group calling themselves Jane's Revenge, saying, you know, we're this militant uh, pro-abortion group, and we are going to really mix it up in the streets. And their, their big slogan is, you know, if abortion isn't safe, neither are you. And I will say there has been some Jane's Revenge graffiti at, I believe, an attempted arson of a crisis pregnancy center, um, as well as some vandalism. I think maybe it's like three or four incidents of that. Um, but at the same time, number one, no one has been arrested. We don't know of any actual members of this group. Number two, you know, I mean, Reason Magazine recently, Swin's wife, actually, uh, Elizabeth Brown, published a thing asking whether Jane's Revenge is a hoax, uh, whether this is, I mean, a sort of right-wing false flag. And look, I don't know. But I do think that the evidence that Jane's Revenge is this sort of nationwide gang that's going to start beating up conservatives and burning churches is pretty thin. I think if I had done the same, you know, if I had reported as much about the right based on a couple blog posts, anonymous blog posts, you know, I think I'd be, we laughed off of Twitter and rightly so. But nevertheless, this idea that Jane's Revenge was really is like the weather underground on steroids has been really big. And so we've had Republican senators demanding investigations. Marjorie Taylor Greene wants them to be classified as a terrorist group. Uh, Sean Hannity is saying, Merrick Garland, where are you? Even though there's no evidence, it's a real group. Yeah. And it's super interesting for a lot of reasons. And I think it what I keep thinking about is just like how powerful a foil that the 2020, you know, Black Lives Matter protests have like continued to be for the Republican Party. And I think you, you just have to acknowledge that that has been politically useful for them. I mean, during the discussions about the January 6th committee and what body was going to be created to investigate it, I mean, the Republican sort of falling back point was always well, we also need to investigate the the BLM riots and all political violence in this country, and um, it, it is it's it's a useful foil for them just on on a lot of levels. And I think, but also, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge too that like the idea that there would be this outpouring of you know crazy street violence for something that was considered inevitable, right? It was May second or whatever that that Politico published leaked draft of the Dobbs opinion. Even when that happened, it was not exactly a totally unexpected event that a conservative court was going to issue a conservative ruling uh, when presented a case on this. So like the idea that there would be this like outburst of violence and terrorism for a 
totally expected event was going to be a little bit of a stretch. Um, but just to add on it, Will, I mean, this stuff does make it out there in real ways. I saw some tweets um, from folks, actually a Republican Capitol Hill press person tweeted out, and I think maybe some local news folks as well, businesses in downtown DC that, you know, had been really hit the hardest by some of the the riots in 2020, you know, were boarding up their their storefronts again. And who knows where the, those folks are getting their information or the ways in which local news sometimes picks up on this stuff. But, you know, clearly this this rhetoric like has has an impact. We can't know what was going through, you know, a, a shopkeeper's head or a business owners. But clearly like this was considered by just presumably normies, right? Uh, uh, enough of a thing that, um, you know, they felt like they they couldn't take any chances and, you know, took the time to board up their businesses in, in response to something that we can all agree seems pretty flimsy. We saw this, uh, there was a Catholic diocese in California put out this memo that was then picked up by Newsweek and then became sort of more fuel for this that claimed that large groups were casing out churches for the night of rage. And, you know, whenever you start getting into kind of like the large groups talk, I mean, that's what I'm like, well, this is clearly a lie because like no one's getting arrested. You know, we're not seeing any actual evidence of this. I think you make a great point about the political utility of a riot for the right after this failed to happen uh there was still like a lot of like scrambling to say like well it was still the night of rage but but it's sort of you know like the peaceful protesters were angry <laughs> fox news had this thing where they said well it was mostly peaceful and then then i was expecting to say okay here, here's the violence we're now going to list they said it was mostly peaceful but some of the protests had swear words on them it's like, all right, well, that, that, I mean, that's still peaceful, I guess. I definitely think, you know, it has this advantage of, yeah, as you said, I mean, distracting, I think, sort of creating an equivalence uh, with January 6th. And also, I think, distracting from the realities of Roe being overturned and saying, okay, well, now are you going to prosecute women who get abortions? Are you going to, you know, how is this going to be implemented? And instead, you can just say um, Antifa's on patrol. Right, right, exactly. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Okay, well, there's a lot going on this week, obviously, but um, you have once again submerged into the Dante-like inferno <laughs> of weird shit out there and unearthed something for us to consider. So what is it this week? That's right. I'm climbing out of that hole in like Kazakhstan that is permanently burning, and I've got a new... <laughs> podcast item. Yes, that's right. So this week, we have the QAnon crypto scam disaster. Now, you might say, a scam in cryptocurrency? I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> but this is an inter especially interesting story. So this comes from uh, a group called Logically, which is sort of an open source intelligence group that, that has done some great work outing some QAnon leaders. And the story is by Nick Bakovic, Ernie Piper, and Tori Marland. Now, this is a story about how I, I will say, like, I, I've known for a bit that sort of cryptocurrency scams are pretty rife in the QAnon universe, as I think they are in a lot of online communities. But there's some interesting QAnon wrinkles to this one. Just to give you the idea of sort of the basic QAnon crypto scam. So usually, like, some of these are pretty unartful, I would say. They say, you know, you might get a celebrity. So it's like you make a Telegram account for Denzel Washington and you say, like, new followers. My buddy Q has told me about a great deal buying Bitcoin. However, rather than buying your Bitcoin on a site like Coinbase, just send me your money. 
and I'll buy us Bitcoin collectively. And then, you know, this account gets about 10,000 followers and presumably some amount of money and it's posting screenshots and what have you. And then surprise disappears. But this one, in this case, this is a group called uh, Whiplash 347 and a Patriot Quakes, which with a quake there with the, the Q really highlighted in the screen name. So these are two QAnon influencers on Telegram, which is, of course, the social media site these folks have been pushed onto after being banned from the main social media platforms. Essentially, I think what is going on here is that QAnon believers have sort of self-selected and revealed themselves as sort of the among the more gullible members of our society. And so I think some con artists have seen uh, rich pickings among them. So in this case, these two QAnon leaders, among their you know QAnon posts, they say, hey, I'm getting some, you know, some Q style intel, uh, but rather than being about Hillary Clinton and secret uh, indictments, this is about what cryptocurrency to buy into. And so then their fans, you know, essentially they're they're pushing these like really crummy fake cryptocurrency coins and these people buy them and then they they essentially just fold the coin and take all the money. Have you looked into buying any coin just to sort of kick the tires on it? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, certainly these (laughs) offers looked very appealing to me. Yeah. I mean, they look good. They look good. It is remarkable. I mean, you know, they're being these people are being told, well, you know, this coin is invested in gold. And, you know, obviously, you know, gold is also very big in the, the right wing media. Right, right. And so they say, well, this. This one is like really legit, what have you. And I mean, the interesting part to me here is how specific the QAnon angle is. And so let's say if you're at Miami Bitcoin Con or you're the at the, the Bored Apes party, people are not going to be telling you about aliens necessarily and how aliens, their favorite Bitcoin, right? But in this case, th- th- these QAnon influencers do say, well, these aliens want us all to buy this fake cryptocurrency because aliens, they want us to learn about crypto so that soon they can uplift us into the stars. And so these people are going, oh, wow, holy moly. And they're putting all their money in. Um, in, in it's sort of a very a very tragic case uh, highlighted in this article. One guy put in 100 grand and then essentially the, all the money was pulled out of the currency by the scammers. So he lost nearly all of it and, and, and took his own life, died by suicide. And so this is this really kind of the real impact of this, this QAnon scam. But I think what's also interesting here is that there is this, I think what's sort of an underplayed aspect of QAnon sometimes is the sort of the idea that you personally will become fabulously wealthy. Sam, were you aware of this? No, that's super interesting. I had no idea. I think it's something that like can help explain part of the appeal of QAnon. And so it, it's based on this kind of older sort of utopian idea, which is called Nasera, which is this idea that it, it's very complicated. Uh, I get into the book, but basically it's this idea that there's a secret act that's been passed by Congress that will absolve all debts, you know, credit card debt, student loan debt. And also if you rent a house, you, you'll you get that house. Or if you rent an apartment, you will now own it. So, you know, you can see how it, it sort of appeals to people who are in some financial precarities. So as a result, this kind of transformative wealth aspect of QAnon, I think really lends itself to scams. And so based on that Nasera thing, people say, if you buy, you know, this crypto is part of Nasera. you know, you think of the Iraqi dinar scam where people buy these worthless Iraqi dinars and are told that they'll be hugely wealthy in the future. Um, that has kind of been folded into QAnon. There's kind of this like special part of QAnon that makes it especially a rich vein for scammers. Yeah, that's super interesting. And in and, and the way you described it, it's sort of like if you're into QAnon, you're already kind of predisposed to a lot of the things that make crypto appealing for folks on the right, a, a distrust of the government and and stuff like that. But you're also sort of like, there's this like boomer-esque susceptibility to to like MLMs and sort of the rhetoric and, and the vocabulary of the scam that you're, you know, totally bought into if, if you're following QAnon. But I gotta say, like, I think the crypto stuff has revealed that so many of us are 
are easy marks, not just the Q folks. And and what I appreciate about the nature of the the Q crypto is like it's not even pretending really, right? You know, you mm-hmm. look at the board ape stuff and you know, they're they're trying to reach an audience that thinks they're like super, super smart and connected and can speak the language of financial technology and everything. And the Q people who are trying to sell this currency, I mean, aliens, right? I mean, they're just phoning it in and you got to appreciate that level of honesty. I think it's a diversified scam for sure. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.